1: Now when I was doing a study on prayer, I came across some statistics that really kind of caught me by surprise. I knew that there was a question on how much people pray, but what I found out that 82% of people in America are said to pray at least once a week. And I got thinking, those people that are praying, I wondered what do they say? And when they do pray to God, do they really believe that God is gonna communicate to them by answering their requests? And if they really believed that, and they believed in the power of prayer, then why would they pray once a week and only 82% of them? If we really believe that we're talking to the God of the universe and He is really listening and He desires to cock His ear toward us and answer the request, wouldn't we want to be talking to Him more often? And then sometimes I'll talk to people about, okay, tell me about prayer. And they'll tell me about prayer, but then when I listen to them pray, they pray such simple little now he lay me down to sleep speeches or rub-a-dub-dub thanks for the grub and some think they're real spiritual because they will recite to the lord in a rote fashion the lord's prayer and those that are really spiritual they know the prayer of jabez so they pray that prayer and while i don't want to mock that i appreciate the fact that they want to talk with the lord but that is not how we're going to end up with this beautiful intimacy with the lord that so many of the Bible characters had and so many Christians today have. And so I want you to be one of those people that knows how to have intimacy with the Lord and you begin to walk in that direction with him so that we can grow with the Lord. Well, there are many models of prayer, different styles of prayer, but I'd like to pick one out of the Old Testament using an example of how someone connected an intimacy with the Lord, and his name would be Moses. Now, for some of you that are listening to me, you might be thinking of the Moses that you saw and that film that was uh, produced uh, decades ago called The Ten Commandments, and you think of Moses as Charleston Heston. Or maybe some of you watched that wonderful series on television called The Bible and that little vignette about Moses, and you picked up a little bit of that. And I might call that Hollywoodizing, you know, taking Hollywood and kind of making it into some kind of a drama. And, but, you know, they could never, never do the same kind of justice as God's word would do for us to really be able to understand the intimacy with the Lord and often those dramatizations that we watch about the Bible, they leave out some of the key areas, they kind of allude to them but we really don't get a chance to know them. Well, I want to unpack a situation that was going on with Moses and the children of Israel and then I want to show you what it was Moses is pretty well norm of how he dealt with God when he had to deal with situations. So let me kind of talk you through this to kind of pick up the speed because we're running out of time. And then I'm going to park down on four issues, four ways that will help you perhaps develop intimacy with the Lord. Well, first of all, you know that Moses was um, in Egypt and then he fled Egypt and he was kind of out in the backside of the desert. And it was at that time that he began to have his first connection with God in any meaningful recorded way. It's when God met him, and when God met him, he gave a directive to Moses, and he said, I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to take the children of Israel and lead them across the Red Sea. I want you to take them to the Promised Land. Well, what's interesting is a short time later while he was in Egypt, he did do just that, obey the Lord, and God showed himself strong in his behalf. And he did gather up the children of Israel, led them through the Red Sea, dry ground, and then pointed them in the direction of the promised land. But they weren't in this movement of going to the promised land any longer than 90 days as scripture says beginning of chapter 19, they were just across the Red Sea. They were just there 90 days. They had not even received the Ten Commandments and all the laws and all the things they needed to do about the the real estate that they were going to get and how they were to set up the tabernacle and then the temple and all that was necessary for them to put together the festivals, every way, shape, or form to be able to please the Lord. So now they're in this wilderness experience, 90 days. And what's so interesting, they were at almost the very spot where Moses connected with God the first time. And while he was there with the Lord, this second time, getting all this wonderful information, preparing the children of Israel for that promised land experience, it was a long conversation as he went through all of this documentation and information. So important that it was recorded in the Bible that you could read today. God's mind on paper for the children of Israel and so many types in that that we can apply to today. But it took him not one chapter, not two chapters, not three chapters. It was 12 chapters of one principle after another principle, after one law, after another law, which means that Moses was with the Lord a long time. Well, of course, what happened then while he was up there, the children of Israel began to get quite restless. And so they began to question, where is this God? He isn't close to us. We want to have a God that we can touch and see and feel. We want to have a God that we know that's right here in our midst, not this long-distant God somewhere else. In fact, even our leader, he'd gone off and he could have been eaten by animal. Who knows? He's not with us any longer. So Aaron, we need another God. And so they put together that golden calf that you heard so much about and maybe seen on some of this dramatization. But you will not picture that vileness of that idol that they put together. And as they did, the Lord is still watching because he knows all things and he sees everything and he knows the end from the beginning. While they were having that time together with God and Moses, putting together the commandments, the Lord knew what was going on down below. And how that these people were rising up in wild sexual activity and at the same time looking at this golden calf and worshiping this calf, praying to the calf, looking at this cow. this nothing more than a man-made statue that had gold. That was it. So the Lord was getting pretty fed up and he sends Moses back down. When he comes back down again, the Lord is really fed up and he's now saying to these people, to, to, to Moses, you know... You're going to go to the promised land, you go, but I'm not going to go with you. You and your people, your obstinate people, I'll send an angel and others to protect you, but I don't want to be associated with you, you go on. In fact, I want to wipe you all out. And it was at that time then in Exodus chapter 33 that Moses, now again, with intimacy with Almighty God, God Jehovah, God Yahweh, God Adonai, that he would have this conversation. That he would then redirect the children of Israel and in a sense at this time, even change, we might call the mind of God. Now some might say, well I thought God is immutable. That's true, there are things about God that are unchanging that he will never change. There are things that are changeable and in his sovereignty this was allowed to change. And it was all because that he had a conversation with him. Now we can unpack all of that drama that what went on, but that's not what I want to get to today. I want you to know that there were significant issues, real life issues of people that were not walking with God. I want you to realize again, this is the backstory that this same Moses could have a conversation of intimacy with God that would change Moses and would change God to move in a direction that would eventually fulfill God's ultimate full purpose. And so when you think of the Jewish nation today, I want you to know that this story leads into the Jewish nation today and even as they move forward. So to do that, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles now because I want to show you what did Moses really do in his encounter with God, that intimacy with God that brought such a difference. Because maybe some of you are wrestling with God right now. You've got a wayward child. You've got a question about your health. You've got issues on your job. You've got relational struggles. And you're wondering, what do I do? Well, I know you can do your little Lord's Prayer up to God, and I know you could pray the prayer of Jabez, and probably pray some simple prayer you might have picked up in Sunday school. But wouldn't you like to have the most amazing relationship with God, that you could converse with Him in such a real way, that together you experience the ever-changing hand of God in your life, and in the lives of others? Well, this is what happened. So turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33 or follow along in the notes that are provided in your worship folder. The little passage we're going to look to primarily is verses 7 through 11. I want to kind of show you what went on in his connection to God. So let's begin in verse 7. It says now, and I'm going to read from the New American here. It says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp and he called it the tent of meeting and we'll stop there for a moment now I know that people listening to me today have a great deal of Old Testament understanding so I want to clarify some things for them and for those of you that don't know much about the Old Testament there's enough in here on this little point I'm about to make that will still stick with you it'll change your life back in the Old Testament you'll know that the Lord did meet Moses at the burning bush The Lord did meet with Moses on Mount Sinai. So those are definite locations. Here he's meeting Moses, and this dialogue often is occurring in what they call the tent of meeting. What I find very interesting and helpful to me is, while I do have locations, I like to go to pray. I have a wonderful desk in our living room at the house. Actually, our living room is my study, and it's all together, and Carol just allows us to have a living room in my study kind of a thing. And I meet the Lord there. When I come here in the morning, usually about 5 o'clock, I get up, I exercise heavily, then I come to the office and I meet the Lord there. I'm known to meet him at times when I'm on the beach or up in the mountains. Sometimes I meet the Lord very quickly when the, I'm flying in an airplane and it hits an air pocket. I think you know what I mean. So the point simply being is you don't have to go to a place to meet the Lord. He will be you everywhere present. But these are places that he went. However, it is interesting to see what he did do on special occasions to meet the Lord. Maybe there's something there as an example for us to follow. Let's continue. If you recall, if I take you from here backwards, you know that they had the temple. And it was a glorious temple, and it was less of a temple, so we had the temple. Before that, we had what is known as the tabernacle. That tabernacle existed during the 40 years that they were in the wilderness, The word tabernacle simply means with us, it's around us, it's everywhere. It was a place where the Lord would meet them. But the question is, is what was before the tabernacle? Well, we could say the mount that the Lord was on with Moses, Mount Sinai, that's a place. It was the burning bush, that's a place. But Moses wanted to have another special place. The tabernacle wasn't built yet. He had a place that was a special tent, probably his own tent. And he would take this tent and he would move it away from the camp now when you think of camp like our ohana camp we'll have 140 150 people coming and going for five days at bellows the beautiful side of bellows a time of fellowship a time of praying a time of being with family a time of being alone a time of teaching singing playing games and of course eating and swimming but that's not this kind of camp this camp didn't have 150 people in it our best guess our best accurate guess would be That it was a camp of not 1 million, not 2 million, not 3 million, not 4 million, not 5 million, but about 6 million people were in this camping area. A couple of months ago, there were a few of us that were in China speaking. Our biggest city had 20 million. Our next biggest city we've spoken and preached in was 14 million. The last was 6 million. And I'm looking at this 6 million, and I couldn't even see the end of all this. And that was the children of Israel. And and, and Moses said, I'm going to take my tent now. And I'm going to meet the Lord. So it's a tent of meeting. And it began with the tent of meeting with the Lord. And he took and he moved outside. So here's point number one for you. For those of you that would like to maybe develop an intimacy with the Lord. And that is we need to separate ourselves. And he would do this regularly. If you look back at the verse it says now Moses used to take this tent. I believe it's referring to it used to do it because the tabernacle wasn't there. Now when the tabernacle was finally built they could go there. But before then, he used to go to the tent. I also believe he used to do it because he would do it frequently. When he wanted to encounter the Lord, when he wanted to have special times, an operation of of a connectivity with God. And that was something that he would do physically. And so he separated himself, and it says, outside the camp of some six million Jews. And then it says, a good distance from the camp. And that's why he called it the tent of meeting. And so I would like to look at this as I see that little phrase That it's important for us to get a bit of a distance from that which would distract us during the time that we want to have intimacy with God in a way that we're not going to be distracted by television, people that are around us, children who have special needs that might be knocking on our door, a time for us that we know that nobody knows us, nobody can get to us, our phones are shut off, and all we are are connecting with the Lord. Here he needed to go a distance, a far distance from the camp to do that. I think there's also another subtle note in here, a secondary message. And that is that the Lord did not want to be with the children of Israel right in their presence at that time because they were living in wickedness. This was all going on times that they were having problems. And Moses again was saying, Lord won't come near you because of the sin. I'm going to move it out here. And maybe for us, it's a time for us to get to a place where we center down, as the Quakers used to say, on God and God alone. Now let's fast forward that in history because we know that Jesus is God. Jesus did the same thing. Now we know he's God, so he was right there. Wherever God was, he's God. He's right there. He could pray to the Father any place that he wanted to go. But more than likely, as a model to us, it said he got up a great while before daybreak. Before breakfast, before daybreak, and he went out to a solitary place and he prayed. Now, most of you know that verse, but if you took that verse it 's nothing more than an island in the midst of a lot of important information. The first part of that is talking about how that the Lord the day before was literally working morning, noon, and night. He had a very active life, no nap, no alone time, no downtime. People were coming at him, he was working, he was moving. A lot of energy, physical human energy was being displayed at that time. He finally gets to bed late at night but he still gets himself up early and he goes to a solitary place to pray. Very similar to Moses. So now I would just ask you, do you have a solitary place distant from whatever would be your distraction that you could go to the Lord? For some of you it might need to be the beach. It might need to be the mountains. It might need to be the country. As long as wherever you are, people can't get to you. Now let me make something also clear. That doesn't mean that you have to separate from people. You could be in a Starbucks and still be alone with the Lord. I know some of you are popping nitroglycerin tablets. But you could be those places. Because they don't know you. Your phone is shut off. Your computer top is closed. It's a momentary place that you purposed in your heart to put your focus on Almighty God for the purpose of connectivity with Him. Now let me speak to that. I began this message talking about prayer. Then I moved it into intimacy, and I reminded you that it's meeting together. So I want to move to the next point so you can see that with this intimacy with the Lord, it's not just us throwing up our requests and our, quote, demands to God the Father. It's a connectivity that goes on. The second one here goes further into the same verse. It says this, And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Again, I don't know what version you have, but the more accurate Hebrew is. It says everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent, not into the tent, but to the tent. You'll find that other times even that wonderful pillar of fire would come in front of this tent and Moses would be there. But they would come to the tent. But the operative phrase is those who sought the Lord. All who sought the Lord would go to this place. So now you check your motivation. When you go, are you going because that's what the family tells you to do? That's what the preacher tells you to do? That's what your devotional books tell you to do? That's what everybody does? You kind of go... No. You can go, take your Bible, go to a solitary place, and then while you're there, still not be centered down on God. You catch what I'm saying? So when you're there, there is that mental geriatrics, mental gymnastics, I should say, that will focus you on the Lord. Now, I have to tell you that my life is busy. My life is no busier than you. Don't think that, hey, the pastor's got all this time, he can do whatever he wants. I'm telling you, the demands are are heavy on me. That is not a whine. That's just life, Okay. And so it takes just as much discipline to go to a lone place and be there. Now, catch my next phrase. When we are at that place, when we choose to engage God, it's not a place to glance at God. It's the place to gaze at God. It's a place for us to center down on Him. It's a place for us to fix our thoughts on who He is. Now let me give you some practical things. Not that this is a list of do's and don'ts, just some practical things. First of all, for those of you that are struggling that say, you know, I've tried that, but my mind so wanders and I, I have to get in the mood or I have to go through such a crisis that the crisis and God and me are so much in it. I, the other stuff doesn't matter. Well, you don't have to go through crisis. So here's what I would suggest you do. When you're alone and you're seeking the Lord and the moment that you recognize you become alert or aware that your mind has begun to drift... You're reading scripture, you're praying, your mind begins to, what about the kids and what about the wash and I forgot to pay that bill and oh my goodness, what about this? The moment you find your mind wandering, do not accept Satan's attack of telling you you're guilty. That is normal. Our minds will do that. What you do though is you become proactive. The moment you see your mind drifting, you then say, Lord, help me get my mind back on you. Now, you might have to do that a hundred times the first time you take and start doing this intimacy. The next time, you'll only do it 99 times. The next time, you'll do it 98 times. You'll be amazed at how as you begin to do these things that you begin to train yourself like an athlete to become more focused. Now, how many of you have ever been on a date or with your mate? And while you're trying to have a conversation, the old days would be they'd have the newspaper up in front of them in the morning breakfast time. You couldn't communicate. Today is, you sit down for dinner and what do you do? You whip out your phone and you place it on the table there or at the restaurant, don't you? And of course you'll say, I'll only take if it's an emergency. So a moment, it just takes one buzz, one vibration, one special ring, and we're checking. Is it something important? The moment we, we do that, our mind is trying to adjust. What do I do? How do I do this? I hope I don't... And we re- We disconnect. And so there's that time that we have to really gaze upon the Lord. Now, if you'll notice, the conversations that that were going on between Moses and God, the first one was, if you remember, way back before he led the children of Israel out, and even then Moses was somewhat arguing with God because of his ability or the lack thereof. Then later on, we see the other problems that he had when he was on the Mount Sinai. He's conversing with God back and forth because of issues that were going on in his life. He was seeking God. God, what do you want me to do? This doesn't really make sense. But Lord, what do you, how do you want me to do? It was a back and forth to finally get into rhythm with God to do what God wanted me to do. I'm saying all that now to say this. While we'll have these conversations with the Lord, I strongly warn you about looking for or listening for an audible voice of God. Now, while in Scripture we know that God spoke, We know that today God has chosen to tell us what to do, why to do what to do, etc., through His Word and through the Spirit of God, His Spirit, Himself, Spirit, to prompt us through His Word here so we seek His Word. Now next week, I want to spend more time on that part of this message, so I'm going to say we're going to put that into next week. It's seeking God wholeheartedly. And I'm going to show you that when we seek God wholeheartedly, we are going to seek him through the word of God. And while I'll take you through a battery of scripture, I'm going to show you that the main block of scripture of intimacy with the Lord is actually found in Psalm 119, when you'll find throughout the entire psalm us talking to God like David and then listening to God through the word because that's how God communicates to us. We're going to see them together. I have a surprise for you in the sermon next week and I want you to be here as I will put it in print for you and you'll want to see that from Psalm 119. Never done before in the history of my ministry. Obviously, I didn't do it here then. I'm going to do it the first time next week. You want to be back. Let me get back to this. Seeking the Lord with all of your heart. I really like that. Underline the phrase all of your heart. Not a hard heart. Not a half a heart. But a whole heart. Does that mean you can't ask God, why this, why me, why now? I'll give you the answer, very simple. Is it okay when you go through these times and you're engaging God in intimacy, and you go to the Lord and you say, why me, why this, why now? Is that wrong, Pastor? The answer is yes and no. Why would it be yes and no? If you go to the Lord and you say, why me, implying somebody else should have gotten that problem, not me. Why this? Lord, why'd you give me this? Maybe you handle something else, but not this. Why now? Implying um, this is a stupid time for it to happen. Now you break my leg right before I'm going to go skiing next week on my vacation. Why now? We've all been through that. That type of questioning is coming out of a heart of rebellion, a heart of wanting God to work for us. On the other hand, not to ask the question, Lord, why is this happening? What we, happen, what we do then by that is we don't plummet the depths of trying to really understand God. While it is true, Acts and Numbers both say that we'll never understand all there is to know about God, which is all right, I do want you to know there's a whole lot more that we can know about God that He wants us to know about Him, and by asking why, it'll help us to understand motives and rationale and to see the wonderful wisdom of God. Why me? Well, that might help you understand that there may be some responsibility that you can take. There may be some sin that needs to be confessed and forsaken. There may be a chance for you to essentially uh, celebrate. Why you? Because God says, you are the man. You are the woman. You are the boy. You are the girl for this hour. You are made for this. So step up.